verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Please turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And this concludes a series that we started in the beginning of December, looking at um, Christmas and our world, Christmas and our doubts, Christmas and our longings, and this morning in particular, Christmas and our guilt. Now, it's particularly appropriate because I'm feeling pretty guilty about the way I ate this Christmas. I don't know about you, but every time I looked at those cookies and pies and um, eggnog, they were calling me, and I just couldn't say no. But I did so with the caveat knowing that, okay, this is going to make a great New Year's resolution, right? The first resolution for everyone is lose weight, pull back. So one of the ways that I deal with guilt is knowing that I can sort of catch up, make up, you know, for all the bad things that I've done and the ways that I've cut corners. Um, Other ways that we look at dealing with guilt are, you know, I just can't help myself. It's who I am. I'm, I'm helpless. You know, I try to resist temptation, but it just follows me and I give in. Or we blame shift. You don't understand the home I was raised in. It's my dad's fault that I am the way I am or her fault or my environment's fault. Um, You just don't understand the pressures I'm under. My circumstances have caused me to be who I am or to do the things I've done. We may say, there's no hope for me. There's hope for other people, but you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I, you know, my life is over. There's hope for other people, but not for me. And um, those are ways that we deal with, with, with the doubt. I've, I've used overeating as an opener because it's sort of a non-threatening thing, so to speak. But there are other ways that we experience guilt and regrets. In fact, sometimes the things we deal with and live with inside are so difficult for us to face that we have a hard time living with ourselves. There is a torture worse than death, and that's the lack of peace that comes from a guilt-laden, guilt-ridden life that We carry this secret shame or remorse or regret about our past and the things that we have done. I know that um, for some of us, I mean, these are real issues. It could be a, a pregnancy that was terminated. And now you're living with all the post issues 
of having to deal with something you cannot reverse, a life that will never be. It could be a broken relationship, a, a painful divorce that you went through and you felt like a total failure, like I, didn't, I wasn't able to make it work or to hold on to it. It could be right now that you've shut off communication with somebody, someone important to you, someone in your life, in your family, your extended family. And years have passed and habits of silence have set in. And now it just seems impossible to breach this gap, this, this distance between you and that person. And you grieve over it. You regret. Why didn't I do something different? And you possibly feel like it's too late now to change things. And so you experience shame and guilt. You've tried blaming other things, other people. But in the end, you know that it comes home to roost right here in your own heart. Um. You spend more time than you should. Uh, it may be that you've spent more money than you should on things that you shouldn't have gotten. And financially, you're in trouble. And you're thinking, oh, if I had only, what if, you know, and you're living with that regret and remorse and guilt as well. And on the outside, we want others to think that we're good people. We want to present well. But we can only do that so long before we feel like we're sort of this empty cavern inside with this nice presentation. But we're dying inside because we're having a hard time living with the people we really are. The hope of the gospel is that you have... A place to turn. You don't have to cope by making yourself so busy, keeping the earbuds on, being productive from the moment you wake up until the moment you fall to bed at night, trying to rid yourself of opportunities to reflect upon and to examine your own heart through, through, through busyness. You can stop, you can pause, and you can turn to the one who offers complete forgiveness and peace and freedom. And that's what this passage is all about. Where do we bring our guilt and our regrets and our shame and our remorse? We bring it to the cross, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there we find peace. We find a real peace, not just the peace that brought us salvation, but the peace that enables us to live daily as Christians. So I'd like to tell you the good news. If you feel guilty, if you have held that remorse and that guilt and regret inside, and every time you look in the mirror or you wake up in the middle of the night, you feel that shame the important thing for you to understand at first is that you are guilty. You are as bad as you think you are, maybe even worse. Now you think, oh, thanks, Doug. That's exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah, you're saying I'm responsible for the situation I'm, I'm in. Well, to a large extent, you probably are. Um, we are all guilty. Guilt is established 
in Paul's letter to the Romans, he starts right at the beginning. This is sort of like a treatise of, of what the gospel is all about. And this is a gospel that saves us and it's a gospel that enables us to live. It's the same gospel that saves us, that, that equips us to live each day with freedom from the, the overarching, overwhelming burden of guilt. He says in Romans 1, first of all, we're guilty because we have ignored how God has revealed himself in nature. I mean, you just have to look outside and you see this system in place and this delicate balance that God has placed there for us. And he's reflected in all of nature. But Paul tells us that even though what can be known about God is seen in nature, we've rejected it. We have refused to acknowledge him or to give thanks to him. And in fact, by nature, we want to make our own gods, gods of human resources, things that we can see, that we can hold on to, that we can um, love and cherish, that will feed us. And he says, because of that, God has given you over. God has given us over to the own desires of our hearts. And from there, we've done this spiral into, into sin, to sexual perversion, to Wickedness and greed and envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and gossip and arrogance. And you can just read the list in Romans chapter one of the results of not acknowledging who God is or giving him thanks. And then in chapter two, he says, not only are you guilty because you have rejected the revelation of God, but you're guilty because your own conscience condemns you. You know, even if you don't have the law of God, you know, the Ten Commandments, that, that you set yourself up as judges of other people. You know what's right. And you're a critic. Everyone's a critic, right? Not only on the baking shows, but we know what's right. And we look and we point our fingers and we say, hey, that's wrong. You know, you can't get away with that. And so people are asked to step down off of their offices and they're um, facing all kinds of charges because we know innately within ourselves the difference between right and wrong. And we're very free to apply that to other people. And his argument is that same law inside of you is going to condemn you before God, even if you don't have the law of God. But to those who did have the law, the Jews, they couldn't live up to it either. And so they're condemned. That's why God revealed to us from heaven a righteousness not based on the law, a righteousness that would be delivered through his son, Jesus Christ. So he tells us that in chapter three. How do you acquire that righteousness? In chapter four, he says it's by faith. It's not by right. It's not by doing good works. It's by believing it's like the faith of Abraham, where God took this man out of Ur of the Chaldees, an unknown place, and he brings him out and he says, look at the stars, count them. If you can number the stars, that's how many descendants I'm going to bring, I'm going to make of you. I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. Here he is, 75 years old, his wife is 65, they don't have any children, and he's going to 
make them the father of a great nation? The Bible says that Abraham believed God and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. He didn't do anything. He just believed. And he says that's the kind of faith that is required of you in order to be justified by God. It's just believing. Nothing else. Not by works of righteousness, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. So in chapter 5, he tells us that that person specifically that we're to put our faith in is Jesus. We're justified by faith and we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. He is, if you will, the second Adam. In the same way that the first Adam sinned and then the consequences was that sin spread to the whole world and we've all sinned by nature and by choice. In the same way, righteousness was revealed through Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in him, we are made righteous with God's righteousness through his son. In chapter 6, he tells us that that righteousness then is in our relationship with Jesus in particular. He says that when you place your faith in Christ, you are united with him in his death in his burial and in his resurrection, you are inseparably linked with Christ throughout life. Not just when you got saved, but daily. And this is the key to overcoming victory. This is why he says to us, now reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. You are no longer under the law and under the weight of your sin, but you are linked to Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity completely different than all other religions. It is a faith based on a relationship with the living God, Jesus Christ. And that's something that we share and we enjoy and participate in moment by moment, day by day. Right? That's wonderful. To have a relationship with Jesus. And yet he tells us that there is a reality that still exists. And that's this spiritual war that's taking place. This tension that I don't do the things that I should do. And I do do the things that I shouldn't do. His conclusion is, if I do the things I hate, who's going to save me from this body of sin that, that keeps going back and says, I can't resist that plate of food, that next whatever it is. He says, thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the answer to the spiritual war, the struggle that takes place in your heart and mine. Jesus Christ and that that inseparable union that we have with him. And so the good news for us is that there's no condemnation now for those who were in Christ. The first thing is, though, that we know that we're guilty. We are guilty. God has established that guilt. So what does that guilt involve? That guilt that we felt that was real does lead to judgment. And before you can know the real good news, you do need to know the fact that there is judgment 
for the real guilt that exists in each of our hearts. We know we have transgressed the law. God has done something about that. But apart from Christ, there is a very certain judgment that awaits every person. And the Bible talks about that judgment throughout. Our very words will condemn us, Jesus said. Every word will be brought into account. And those who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Savior will stand before God based upon their own merits. And there Jesus himself will separate the sheep from the goats. Only he knows who they are. And to the sheep he'll say, go into the kingdom your father has prepared for you. And to the goats... He will say, go into everlasting torment, prepared for the devil and his angels. You think, oh, this is the reality that we live with. I don't like to talk about this. I don't like to think about this. But that's like being an ostrich with your head in the sand, right? I mean, this is a very real uh, truth that God's word tells us over and over again that one day we'll stand, as he says in Revelation, and books will be opened. And God will look at that book and he'll see whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is written there in the Lamb's book of life, you will have the joy of everlasting life. But if you're If your name is not in that book, then you'll be judged on the basis of your own merits. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be judged on the basis of my own merits. Because the Bible tells us that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. We cannot stand before God on the basis of our merits because he is holy and he expects and demands that we be holy too. We cannot be holy in and of ourselves. And that's why Christ came to take upon himself our judgment. All our sin was laid on him. And he bore the judgment of God for our sins. He took the full wrath of God upon himself. In my place, condemned he stood and offers me his righteousness in exchange. If I, like Abraham, believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Oh, what a glorious thought. There is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. This is the most wonderful thought of all is that there is no condemnation. You will not stand before God one day and see your deeds on the balance. And he will say, well, your, your good deeds sort of tip the scale to, nah, well, let's, that's not the way it's going to work. He's going to look at you based on one thing. Have you put your confidence, your faith, In the work of Jesus on your behalf. And if you have, then not guilty is a verdict. You are set free. And he says, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. That order, that system that once held you down was really intended to bring you to the end of yourself. 
so that you could do nothing but look up in helplessness and hopelessness and say, what now, God? And he says, my son, my son was offered for you. He died in your place. He was condemned when you should have been. And he took your sin upon his body and he bore it for you. And now all you receive in exchange is the righteousness of Christ. That's a wonderful freedom. That's the freedom that we have. And he says, where is this found? If you look at the words, it says this little phrase, in Christ Jesus. It is a phrase that is repeated over and over again in the New Testament, in the epistles. And what it means is that when you accept Christ, you are you enter into the sphere of Jesus Christ. You become part of his kingdom. You become his child. He stamps his name on you. You are his. You belong to him now. There's a relationship that begins, and it is this inseparable union that you have with Christ. God is your father. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you, and it tells us here that he regenerates us. That is, he gives us new life. And he lives within us and he empowers us to walk a new life in Christ. This is what you get when you accept Jesus as your Savior. Whether you realize it or not, it's your reality. It's hope and it's joy and it's peace with God. Now you can start to look at yourself a little differently. And Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 all the things that we are in Christ. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 1 sometime and read through it, nine times he he repeats this phrase, in Christ Jesus, you have these things. You have been forgiven. His mercy has been bestowed on you. You have joy. You have peace with God. You have been forgiven. Christ has redeemed you from, he has rescued you from the domain of darkness and he has given you new life. Over and over again, we are blessed beyond means only because of our faith in Jesus Christ. What are you clinging to today? So our judgment has been taken by Christ. He has poured out his life for us and he has set us free. Jesus said those who have. He sets free are free indeed. And now you have this new law at work in you. And it is the law of the spirit of life living in you who enables you to walk in the fullness of God's love and grace. So this is the thing I want to ask you as believers in Christ. Why do we still look at ourselves and feel the regrets of the past, the shame, the remorse, even the self-loathing, feeling like we're not worthy of what we have in Christ, hating ourselves at times because of the things we do? Does that mean then that we slip back into this place of condemnation under the sentence of God? Does it cause you to wonder whether or not you're truly his child at all? 
and that the gavel is going to come down and the sentence will not be not guilty, but it will be guilty as charged. This is the difference in the relationship now, my friends, as brothers and sisters, children of God in Christ Jesus. You continue to live under the sentence of not guilty, but you have a different relationship with God. He's your father. You cannot lose your salvation. But know this, that God is your father. And like any father, he's going to discipline you as his children. That's part of discipleship. Discipline and discipleship are one and the same. It's God at work in me to help me grow in Jesus Christ. And that's a process. It takes time. And when I look in the mirror and I say, golly, there's a lot of things that need to change in me. Well, you know what? I'm right. There is a lot of things that need to change, not just improvements, but sin that has to be mastered. Habits that need to change, attitudes that continue to remain with me, ways of dealing with people that are broken and dysfunctional, that are sinful at core. What do I do with those things? Well, I'm thankful that he's working with me as a father does his children. And I see myself as discipleship, as a, as a disciple, a follower of Christ in the process of change. And then I submit myself to him. I say, Father, help me change this thing in me that's ugly, that makes me feel terrible about myself, convicted, shame and blame. Help me to change this thing. I don't like it. And then he says, okay, that's why I've given you the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm your father. I'm working with you. You pray about it. You turn from it. You repent and you say, Lord, show me what I need to do to change. See, now this is in the context of a wonderful relationship with God. that's not going to be threatened by your sin, but will call upon the father to do something about what he sees needs to be changed. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that's the sign that God loves you, is that he disciplines you. If he didn't, you wouldn't be his kid. Because you don't discipline someone else's children, right? They don't belong to you. But God has put his mark on you, and he will discipline you. And so if you hurt from a spanking you've received from the Father, you can relax and glory in it because, you know what? That's a sign that he loves you and he's your dad. Now, we have two things going on here. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're here this morning, you say, I've never really understood that before. I want to feel the relief from my own sin. I want my sins to be forgiven I don't want to suffer the consequences of standing before God one day and him opening the book and saying, hey, your name's not here. You didn't put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and that's you, today's a day of salvation. Today you can take care of that. It doesn't take a big project or a series or classes to do that. It's the same thing that God required of Abraham when he said, go out and look up at the stars 
and count them. I am going to give you the fulfillment of this promise. And it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted for him as righteousness. If you put your faith, your trust, your confidence in Jesus Christ, no other, not Jesus and your good works, but Christ alone, you will be saved from your sins. He will come in with you, into you. His spirit will indwell you. And you will have the hope of eternal life. It changes the relationship that you have with the Father. You become His child. And if you're here as a believer today, I say, you know, I've still lived with this weight of condemnation, this self-loathing in my heart, feeling like I'm not worthy. Then let me say, you know what? You really have to shift your focus from yourself to Jesus. He has made you worthy. You stand before God on the basis of His merits, not your own. Repeat that to yourself over and over again. Your relationship with God is based on Jesus, not based upon your own works. There is nothing you can do to continue this relationship except to rest in the finished work of Christ. And as you do that... Ironically, you will be changed and you will walk in the Spirit. If you'd like to stay for prayer, maybe you'd like to receive Christ as your Savior and you feel like you just need a little help, someone to pray with, I'd love to stay up and pray with you this morning. If you're here as a believer and you say, you know, I've lived with this weight of condemnation and I just can't seem... To make it go away. I want to be free of it. You can do that this morning. I'd love to stay and pray with you. Let's just pause and pray. Father God, we thank you that in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. That you have set us free from the law of sin and death. And you have given us eternal life through your Son. We ask, Father, that you would make this reality more clear to us today than ever before. That you would help us to walk in that reality. To put our faith and our confidence completely in Christ. And as believers, not to depend on our own righteousness, but upon the merits of Jesus for our ongoing relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you would touch each of our hearts. Bless us as we start this new year. Help us, Father, not to regret and to focus on the past, but to know that we have been forgiven of all of our sins and we have been given new life and hope in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.